Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Warning, this episode contains foul language and discussions of bodily fluids and poisonings. to Keep It Weird, the podcast for all things strange, forbidden, mystical, immortal, scientific, enlightened, and everything in between. Each week we sit down with each other from across the country and we talk about something weird. And this week we are tackling a highly requested topic. We heard you loud and clear and we are discussing alchemy. The Mysterious Practice of Alchemy. On this two-part episode, we will dissect the history, main philosophies, theories, experiments, famous alchemists, modern practice, appearances in pop culture, and really anything we could get our hands on regarding this fascinating medieval work. Join us in the lab as we pour, mix, and boil in an attempt to discover the magical elixir of youth we could so badly use right now. I'm tired. My bones hurt. Help us out, Alchemy. My name is Lauren, and this is my co-host who needs no elixir because have you seen her skin? It's it's youthful. It's Ashley. Oh my god. Uh, Hi, weirdos. (laughs) Truly your skin and hair. Greeted with such (laughs) high praise. High praise. Yeah, my skin and hair. I I am blessed in that department. That's all my mom. Thanks, Pam. Thank you, Pam. But um, I was actually surprised when I got my, not got my wedding pictures back. We didn't have a photographer. We took a pictures here. But when we took it with a nice camera and I've been editing the photos and, you know, really zooming in and seeing wrinkles that I don't notice like in my everyday life. And I'm not necessarily like that I don't like them or mad about it. It was just sort of one of those moments where I was like, oh, my God. I'm aging. <laughs> I'm aging. I'm actually aging. I know. And I'm like, that's what I love is that like, you're not mad about it. Like, as you said, you're just noticing it. And I wish that that was my mindset because every like, that is the reason that I get Botox. And I'm very honest about getting Botox because I, the moment I noticed my crow's feet in a photo, I was like, I am an old witch <laughs> from from the 1600s or whatever I was like I have to I have to do something about this and yeah I I couldn't handle it even though aging is natural and fine and embracing your wrinkles is a beautiful thing but I I had to make them vanish. you were like not yet man not, not yet. yet 
I'm I still 32 have... years old. I cannot be here. Yeah. Well, now I'm 33, actually. Oh, so that's fair. It's... I couldn't remember if you were two time years younger than me away. or one year younger than me. Just the one, but it's time is slipping away. <laughs> oh, boy, isn't it? Uh... I actually have had, <laughs> this is kind of funny. So I have had an eye twitch for five days now. I'm on day no. five of a twitchy Hell eye. Hard. Yeah, just fucking end it. And <laughs> it's driving me. It's driving me pretty crazy. Uh, I'm not gonna sure. lie. But then today, all day, that eye, it's my left eye, was also blurry. And I was like, <gasps> I have a tumor. No. I have a tumor. There's a brain tumor. Oh and I was freaking out and I got home and uh I took my contact out. And it was just some of my contact. Just a little smudge. Oh, just a little smudge of your contact. My contact. So <laughs> no brain goodness. tumor that I know of, Whew. but the twitch is still there. I don't know what it is. It's not dehydration because that was the first thing I thought. So I loaded up sure. on water. It's not that. I don't think it's stress. I don't feel particularly stressed. I was going to say, mine always come from stress and lack of sleep. How have you been sleeping? I've been sleeping great. I've been having crazy, crazy, crazy dreams, but that's normal for me. Sure. <laughs> it is. It is very normal for you. It might actually be screen time because I do oh. work in front of a computer all day. That's my job. And mm -hmm. then I come home. I've got two podcasts. I'm in front of the computer for that. And right. I read on a Kindle or I read on an iPad rather. Right. So I just feel like That's I need to get my it. blue blockers and wear them for like a week straight because this. Yeah, just protect them. It, it's untenable. It's an untenable <laughs> twitch. Oh, that truly is the worst when it's just the twitch that won't stop. And it's like, I can't. I can't keep living my life like, with you shaking my lash line thing. over and over. Yeah, it's bad. But I'm like glad I don't too. have a tumor. I'm glad it was just a smudge. Oh, I just, Me I also too. wanted to mention uh, Laura Shapovalov. Thank you so much. She sent us a picture of a sign um, in the Pacific Northwest where she lives. And it says, attention, owl attacks have been reported in this area. Proceed with caution. <laughs> She said, listening to the new episode, these signs get posted every year in the Stop state it. park I live by. I've never been swooped, but every year I secretly hope for it. Hope for it. Hope you brave, for brave it. Soul. Oh my God. Oh yeah, we never posted the pictures either. Girl, you're gonna regret saying that you hope for it when you see this woman's bloody scalp. <laughs> when you so. see this woman's massacred scalp. Ooh. And then damn it, I cannot find the other oh here it is okay michelle listener michelle christine mm -hmm. she sent us um a message that said hey we have the toads here too i'm attaching some pictures i've heard about local kids licking them to trip also <laughs> about those purple lights i've only seen a couple so far and literally noticed this a few weeks ago so random and crazy you talked about this on the podcast i'll try to get a picture the next time i see it great episode love you ladies and she sent us a picture of the Trippy Toads. Trippy Toad. <laughs> and this is in uh, Cave Creek, Arizona. <laughs> she said, we have a lot of them during monsoon season. Oh. She said, we have a giant one that I named Gregor that lives in my apartment complex. Oh. <laughs> First of all, the name, all of it, like everything you just said is amazing. Really perfect. <laughs> you know, good old Gregor. 
Hanging the guy said, us. no freaking way. These are the toads. Why am I so upset that they're bumpy? Why does that make it worse for me? And she said, right. I think the toxin is in those bumps, but I'm not really sure, though. I saw a photo and thought the same thing. Is like, oh, they have to be bumpy. I wish they were smooth. You know what I mean? Like, the fact that people, them, like, they're licking God. the bumpy. I can't. I can't. I can't do it. I can't. <laughs> Thank you guys so. for writing it. <laughs> Yeah, no, thank you guys so much for uh, sending us messages. We we truly love hearing from you after we release an episode. Those photos were perfect. Perfect. Um, thank you guys. It's always the episodes that we, that we don't we think are anything. Don't think are anything that we get the most feedback on. That's I'm about I'm to start you. not preparing for episodes. Every episode is <laughs> going to be a helter up. skelter. We're just going to yeah. show up and shout weird things at each other and see what happens. Which technically, um, I don't know if we should well, announce it now I was that we're on the topic, too. but uh, next season, we are going to be going with a new format, and every episode is kind of going to be a Helter Skelter episode. It's true. Lauren is, is, is working now. I'm working and, and plan on working full-time next year, so we're thinking of ways to like freshen up the podcast, but also... Keep it true to the weirdness. Yeah, true to the weirdness and also make it easier on us. So basically, yes. we are going to switch off every week of being like the main contributor. And then the other person will have a little segment up front. And uh, they're not going to be sort of themed episodes. We're just going to maybe some of them will be. Um, yeah. And maybe some of them will be accidentally themed. But it's just going <laughs> to be a collection of weird stuff we want to talk about. So yeah. It'll be the weird and bizarre, but just in a slightly different format. And I, again, that is what you all seem to respond to the best. So I kind of think it's going to be Yeah, why not? Awesome. Lean in. Yeah. Let's lean in, baby. We'll still have the occasional listener ghost stories. We'll still have the occasional hometown haunts. We'll mm -hmm. have our, our little favorites that we do. But yeah, we're yeah. going to mix it up next season. I'm really excited. Me too. Can't wait. I want to take a moment, if I will. It oh. has been a hot minute since we've given some Patreon shoutouts, so I would like to take this time uh. to say hi. Hello. Hi. Welcome. And thank you to our new welcome, welcome. patrons. So shout out to Greg Bale, Kylie Chenoweth, Sir Hot. Oh my God. Sir Hot sent in that amazing <laughs> gin story in last month's Listener Ghost Stories. Hello, Sir Hot. Thank you. Oh, the way you just shouted that. But yes, Sir Hot, that was incredible. So many comments on that story. It was great. Shout out to Stacey Urban, Jessica Chavez, and Jacob Brocious. Jacob has been great. He's actually given me some ideas on how to vamp up the way we deliver our bonus episodes to you. So I'll be working on that in the next few months. Hi, Jacob. Ooh. Hello to Maria Winnemuth, Bianca Mignon, David France. Oh, my God. David, hi. We went to college together. Hello, oh, that's cute. <laughs> thank you, and welcome to Amber V, Maddie Heigley, Gillian Gardina, Nadia White, Madison Bose, and Ryan Johnson. Thank you guys so, 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 so much for donating to our show, whether it's because you want those sweet, sweet perks like bonus episodes and monthly newsletters, or maybe you're doing it as a completely selfless act to help us produce Keep It Weird. We appreciate it so much, <laughs> and we literally couldn't. And wouldn't be able to 
do this show without you. So if you are listening and you'd like to help contribute to our show and ensure that we come back for a season seven, head over to www.patreon.com slash keep it weird podcast and donate. Please and thank Please. you. Oh, also, yeah. speaking of the Patreon, I want to give a quick shout out to Nick Sutter Downs, yes. who joined uh, us, Julia and myself, for the first time last month on the Patreon so and will be on fun. the November episode as well. Really? Surprise, okay. surprise. Yes. Which it's still it's it's still a mini sewed because I know our Halloween one was super long. Like we we somehow were able, the three of us, <laughs> to keep it mini, but we invited him back because he's just, he's such a gem. Absolutely. And so if any, if any of you were enjoying his episode on the Patreon, and if you listen to the November one, enjoy it as well, like show him some love either on the Patreon little page where you can comment or on Instagram or wherever, because he needs, he he needs it. No, he doesn't need it, but it would be nice to let <laughs> him really know that it, you guys, enjoy it. He really needs it, guys. He's struggling. He needs the affirmation. No, no but we, we would like he, to know too. I mean, if you love him, we'll bring yes. him back. We'll bring him on the main pod. We'll, you know. I was going to say, come in to the main feed. Mm. So let us know. So alchemy. Um, alchemy. <laughs> I think most people have heard the word alchemy and then even less people have a little bit of an idea of what alchemy is and then even right. less people actually understand alchemy. I, for <laughs> one was in between heard the word alchemy and have a little bit of an idea of what alchemy is. So this Same. was an amazing episode for me in terms of research. I learned Agreed. so much. I learned a lot. I kept rattling things off to Alex. So I was like, did you know? Did I, you know this? I, I, ha I have been informed, y'all. I did not know a lot and I'm excited. So today is definitely a get-to-know alchemy episode. I'm going to cover what alchemy is, literally, and a little bit of its ancient history. Lauren is going to teach us about a major component of alchemy. And then next week, we're going to have a discussion about famous alchemists and their ideas and what we think about it. So mm -hmm. alchemy, at its simplest, is the belief that everything consists of specific elements in different proportions. And the idea that you could reduce a piece of matter to all its specific elements, separate them, alter their proportions, put it back together, and it would result in a fundamental change of the matter itself. One substance can literally become another. Mm -hmm. And the thought process behind this is totally understandable they thought at the time because what it started out as in its initial form was people trying to turn metals into gold right and at the time and this was you know centuries ago they thought metals grew in the ground like plants did and while they grew, they gradually mutated from one metallic form to another better or more perfect metal. So at the time, it was believed that silver was just a part of the process before metal grew into gold, which, of course, today we know that's not how it works. But we'll get to right. that later. <laughs> <laughs> so what the alchemist was doing in the lab, and, and it was just what nature did, what they thought nature did, but sped up. So what takes nature hundreds or thousands of years is re reduced to a matter of months or a year or two. And what makes this process so quick is actually something Lauren will be teaching us about later, a catalyst known as the Philosopher's Stone. But again, we'll get there. So like I said, at the start, the manufacturing of gold was the primary goal of alchemists. They believed that all metals on earth were striving to be slash growing into gold. 
And obviously gold is extremely valuable and they can make a living off of this process or even become rich beyond their wildest dreams. Mm -hmm. But a more important goal and what it kind of turned into was the effort to produce an elixir or pill of immortality by using the same ideas, a substance which could be ingested and by acting on key organs of our bodies, alter them so we could live many hundreds of years beyond the normal span or even become immortal. Mm -hmm. That fountain of youth, baby. That fountain of youth. We all want it. We all need it. (laughs) But for anyone who has read The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho, alchemy also sort of became a spiritual journey. What started as a lab experiment grew into a sort of movement and the techniques and materials became metaphors for parallel changes in the soul of the alchemist themselves. Humankind is the mirror image of creation itself. We are a microcosm of a macrocosm. So whatever happened in the latter had an effect in or on the former, which is something we've discussed on the show before. The idea that our lives are the universe attempting to experience itself. Right. So alchemy evolves into this scientific idea of transmuting precious metals to finding the elixir of eternal life, and then even on to astrology and mysticism in the sense that certain experiments could be done on a full moon and certain planets align with different elements and an alchemist's diets should consist of XYZ to purify the body and alchemists should protect themselves with magic, amulets, and spells to ward off evil spirits and untrustworthy people. It is amazing the way that it transformed and everything that it became. And it really, yeah, it totally became this way of getting to the point of enlightenment and like self-improvement and yeah, purifying yourself. Yeah, it's so, so fascinating to watch how alchemy changed over time. There was also an importance of balance in alchemy, the sun and the moon, the earth and the stars, but also the male and the female. So it's very much so common to see men and women practicing alchemy together throughout history, even in times when women were not welcome to work beside men, which is pretty fucking cool. Women were in those labs, man. Like they needed everybody, which I love. Something important to note, a lot of poisonings. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Alchemy has Unfortunately. So many poisonings. There was a lot. (laughs) So many. In ancient China, for example, where alchemy, uh, or at least the writings of alchemy was born, Chinese alchemy had developed into two branches of ideas when it came to, to an immortality elixir. One was made out of mineral or inorganic substances like mercury or lead. Goodness me. Or the other equally as bad was to use organic substances which were usually body tissues uh saliva blood or even semen so (laughs) oh also menstrual blood that was a big one yeah huge which is gross but it's not poison which is something you saw a lot of with the inorganic materials There's actually a text I wanted to share from the 6th century AD that describes how an ingester might feel, and it's wild. It reads, After taking an elixir, if your face and body itch as though insects were crawling over them, if your hands and feet swell dropsically, if you cannot stand the smell of food and you bring it up after you have eaten it, if you feel as though you are going to be sick most of the time, if you experience weakness in the four limbs... 
If you have to go often to the latrine or if your head or stomach violently ache, do not be alarmed or disturbed. All of these effects are merely proof that the elixir you are taking is successfully dispelling your latent disorders. Stop. Do not be alarmed. It's well, just your alarmed. body falling apart <laughs> and ingesting poison is probably going to kill you. But don't be alarmed. Yeah. It's, it means it's working. Which we obviously know today is incorrect. That is lead poisoning and you are killing yourself slowly. Yep. Slowly dying. Sounds awful. <laughs> oh, that is amazing. There's a uh, kind of a back and forth on whether alchemy started in India or China, but I definitely got sexy in India. Uh, okay. <laughs> I don't Let's know if you've heard of it. like the Kama Sutra. Um, I've heard it once or twice. India is basically the birthplace of kink. These are some freaky deaky folks. So I'm obsessed. China was kind of the birthplace birthplace of alchemy, but India alchemy was wild and out. Not only had they taken <laughs> the idea of elixirs to produce immortality. They also thought elixirs could do other things, like make you invisible, make you fly, etc. But as far as we know, no one was flying around India. Mostly it was people walking around blind in one eye because they drank an invisibility potion <laughs> made by some random guy on the street. And it didn't work out for them. <laughs> and it didn't go well. But what did transform alchemy in India more than anything else was the advent of tantrism. Which we hear tantric and we think hot, hot, sweaty sex, but it is much more than that. Um, Hindu tantrism is a belief that you could attain supernatural powers and or a close relationship with a particular deity by liberating yourself from the bonds and constraints of normal physical existence. Mm -hmm. So let go of everything, completely right. free yourself. Release, Release your, your inhibitions, inhibitions, feel the rain on your skin. skin. No one else can feel it. <laughs> I'm really proud of us for that moment. <laughs> no one else. No one else. Uh, was that the hills? Or was yeah. Or was it Laguna that was the Beach? hills? That was the hills. Okay, that was the hills because Laguna Beach was. Uh, I'm coming clean with Hillary Duff. Which I don't know was, if I remember that one, actually. Yeah, it was not. It didn't slap. It didn't slap the way that the hills did. <laughs> Nothing like saying. the hills. Okay. <laughs> anyway, with tantrism, it's not just sex. There are different sounds, like mantras and humming and sound bowls. There's um, connection and control of your body through yoga. There's offerings of the five substances as worship, alcohol, meat, fish, grain, and sexual intercourse, a.k.a. my kind of party. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Invite me over. But in India, it's where you kind of see the transformation of alchemy into a full lifestyle. And you see modern day practices reflected medicine, pharmacology and alchemy, you know, of the body, a.k.a. transforming yourself from the inside out. This is all stuff we see today with like wellness programs and retreats, you know, vitamins mixed with diets, mixed with supplements, mixed with yoga and meditation. And a lot of those people also use crystals and mantras. And now you can kind of trace back where those lifestyles came from. Yeah, absolutely. When we move into the Islamic world in the 8th century AD, this is where we get a lot of symbology mixed in, specifically magic numbers. 
Once we make our way into medieval Europe, we start to see some controversy towards alchemy because medieval Europe was very religious. I don't know if you've heard. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so the idea that you could not only imitate nature, but also do her work for her in an accelerated time was very controversial. Don't mess with God. You know, it's the same today with like stem cell research and splitting atoms. You shouldn't be messing with these processes. Stop playing God. Yeah, Yeah. it's not God's will. And it is around this time, the Islamic era, that we started hearing a new phrase in alchemist circles, which is that of the philosopher's stone. And Lauren is going to teach us about that. Philosopher's stone, baby. Which I thought that is the title of a Harry Potter book, correct? It is. It well, and it was is more important. Uh, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone was the first book in the series of Harry Potter written by J.K. Rowling, who we now all very much dislike. But I there there's a lot of controversy about that, but you can still respect the work and all the magic that came out of it. However, that book now, if you can find a copy actually titled Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, it is worth thousands. No way. The name was changed to the Sorcerer's Stone for the U.S. printed version, and then the movie was then also called the Sorcerer's Stone. So we just changed the title completely, took it away, and ran with it. Um, The Sorcerer's Stone is the exact same thing as the Philosopher's Stone, which I'm about to talk about. But yeah, that was a big change. And now if you can find a copy saying the original title, it's... It's something you can make some money off of or just hold close to your chest. It's very precious. (laughs) So Philosopher's Stone, from the Middle Ages to the late 17th century, the Philosopher's Stone was the most sought after goal in the world of alchemy. And according to legend, because everything is, did it exist? Did it not exist? It's all a lot of question, a lot of theory. The Philosopher's Stone was a substance that could turn ordinary metals, such as iron, tin, lead, zinc, nickel, copper, into precious metals like gold and silver. It also acted as an elixir of life with the power to cure illness, renew the properties of youth, and even grant immortality to those who possessed the stone. And the Philosopher's Stone may not have even been a stone at all, but a powder or other type of substance It has also been known over time as the tincture, the powder, or the materia prima, or materia prima. I saw that pop up quite a bit when I was reading. Oh, yes. Materia prima, the, the prime material, the main material, what everyone was going for. It was the thing that you wanted in whatever form it came in. And in their quest to find it, alchemists examined countless substances in their labs, building a base of knowledge that really made chemistry and pharmacology what it is today. And it was essential for the world of science that we know today, which is kind of amazing that they were, you know, going for this immortality stone, this elixir of life. Everybody, as we were saying earlier, fighting to find what's going to keep me youthful and keep me alive and make me rich. But through that and through everything that they were experimenting with on these substances to find the Philosopher's Stone, they were able to change the world of science and kind of build the foundation for what we have today, which is cool. Yeah. Um, And these efforts by 
all these scientists or alchemists for the Philosopher's Stone are known as the magnum opus or the great work, which now we hear, we've heard that term, magnum opus. It's anybody's, you know, great work, their big moment, the yeah. thing they're most remembered for. We, we hear that term. For. But magnum opus actually was born from the search for the Philosopher's Stone, which I thought was fascinating. No that was That was why the term was created, was the great work the magnum opus to find the philosopher's stone. That is how that term became normal and thrown out into the world, which I think is fascinating. And the stone, whether it was real or not, it symbolized that perfection, that enlightenment, that heavenly bliss that everybody was reaching for. And many of the Western world's most brilliant minds searched for the philosopher's stone over the centuries, including Roger Boyle, the father of modern chemistry, and even Sir Isaac Newton, which I know we're going to touch on later, uh, whose secretive studies in alchemy are well known now, of course, but I loved that at the time it was like, yeah, I'm a scientist, but under the radar, <laughs> I'm doing my studies of alchemy all the time. Um Long before Newton, though, there was a man named Nicolas Flamel, a French bookseller and notary who lived in Paris during the 14th and early 15th centuries. And this man is known as kind of the godfather, the, the founder of the Philosopher's Stone and bringing it to the forefront of everything in the world of alchemy yeah i was wondering exactly when it started because like the philosopher's stone that was never mentioned in like ancient china ancient india and then all of a sudden as i was reading it, it started popping up and i was like where did this idea come from totally and there's different rumors that it came from different places and it you know it, it's existed since the beginning of time of course there's always going to be those stories but what Historians are able to track it to through records is Nicholas Flamel, and this is what kind of everybody is is writing on currently. But in 1382, Flamel claimed to have transformed lead into gold after decoding an ancient book of alchemy with the help of a Spanish scholar familiar with the mystic Hebrew texts in this ancient manuscript that he found. It is believed that days before he found this book, he had had a prophetic dream in which an angel, a spirit, a something being. kind of floated down, a being. Uh, again, it's all rumor, theory, that it's been changed a lot, but something came to him and said, you have to go find this book. Here is where the manuscript is. It's going to tell you everything about how to continue with your life and to be immortal and all of this. So he has this dream. And then days later discovers this ancient manuscript that held the secrets of the Philosopher's Stone. And in a German translation of that recipe in this ancient book that came out way later in 1735, it finally started to have new translations. But in this book, we see an illustration, which is a serpent and a crowned dragon that are forming a circle head to tail to symbolize the unification of materia, like that that materia prima, mm -hmm. primary matter, with spiritus universalis, the universal spirit, which is considered essential in the creation of the philosopher's stone to have that matter, but to also have the spiritual aspect of it. So that supposedly came from the ancient book and then was translated years later. And this is supposedly what Nicholas discovered from his dream and then the book. 
And that symbol that was found in there has now become the most common alchemical image that you'll see. Um, it in usually includes pairs of animals or animals and people, or sometimes just one animal, but chasing its tail kind of in that circle. It's supposed to be a symbol of infinity almost in its own way of people, animals, creatures, whatever it may be, uniting to become one, representing the combining and refining of different ingredients into a new form, which is alchemy at its base and the philosopher's stone. Exactly. It is the mm. ultimate symbolism. So that's kind of where that started and then was seen in so many manuscripts and textbooks of alchemy after that. Well, and that's interesting too, because as I was reading this, and I think I talk a little bit about it in next week's episode, Buddhism, like Buddhist beliefs were were really strong yes. in alchemy because of the idea of eternal life in a resurrection type, like in a, a reincarnation way. Right. Yep. And achieving enlightenment too. That's yeah. huge. Like yeah. they really grasped onto that, which mm. all comes from this, which is interesting. So whether this story was true or not, again, a lot of it is hearsay. Nicholas Flamel was a real person who existed and who was studying in Paris and was a, he was a very wealthy man. But uh, it's important to note that whether you want to believe this story or not, if he was kind of bringing the philosopher's stone into the world and had this dream and all of it. Nicholas Flamel did come into considerable wealth right around 1382 when this supposedly happened. Interesting. <laughs> and he was a good person who donated a lot of his riches to charity to different churches in the area, which, you know, we respect. We're here for it. Take notes, Bezos. Yeah, that's right. And he also lived into his 80s, which was not much of a thing back then. So, That's like, true. I don't know. I'm kind of into this theory. Yeah, I, think I don't know. I'm kind, of, I'm kind of think he found it. I kind of think he found the Philosopher's Stone. Uh, I think he figured it out. I think he found the manuscript. But, no, I just thought that was interesting that he did become wealthy right around that time when the story came out, and he lived a long life. So, I don't know. I'm just saying. But what's really cool is some of... His journals and manuscripts were found and restored by historians, and there are photos online of some of his scribblings and drawings. Um, they have been put forward by the Science Museum Group. They have an alchemy collection, and they talk a lot about Nicholas Flamel, but also just alchemists and the history of it in general, and seem to have a really cool collection that you can see online, and it's very fascinating to see pictures and read about it, so shout out to them. But one part of the collection is a manuscript called, oh, Lord, this, it won't be good, <laughs> Les, Les Trésors des Trésors, which is French for the treasure of treasure. Oh, du toilette. Les Trésors des Trésors. Wait, what is it French for? <laughs> the treasure, <laughs> the treasure of treasures. The treasure of treasures. Okay, okay. We'll just call it the I'm treasure of treasures. <laughs> oh, I just... Ever since we did that episode with Laura, our witchy episode, where we were like, Les Poissons, Les Poissons, Les Poissons. I feel like that's my <laughs> French accent every time. Les Trésors, Les Trésors. So, <laughs> the treasure of treasures is part of this awesome collection by the Science Museum Group. And uh, it is referring to the Philosopher's Stone. And there are lots of codes and symbols and emblems within the text, which was the way 
back in the day to keep secrets of alchemy hidden away from anyone who would try to steal your information. And basically, every manuscript you find like this reads like a magic spell. So you start to understand why these scientists, these alchemists were called witches back in the day and persecuted in the same way that witches were. Yeah, and magicians. And it was like, what are you doing? Because of the way these read. But also, it wasn't just coding to stay, you know, secretive and to hide their ideas so nobody tried to steal them and take credit. It was also they didn't have a language for any of this yet. They're discovering it as they go and trying to find the Philosopher's Stone was such a new part of alchemy at this time. So also coding was used to just be like, okay, this is the only way I know how to talk about it. They were using their own sim- symbols and and emblems in that way. But yeah, this manuscript, The Treasure of Treasures, like on the very inside page, I believe, or either either that or two pages in, it says that, that it, it is a manuscript created by Nicholas Flamel. He takes credit for it. It is believed that it is one of his journals kind of put together into this little scientific book. And now people are able to see the pictures and see the texts That's and so coding cool. online, which I think is so awesome. And that exists for other alchemists as well. And again, we'll talk about Isaac Newton a little bit later, but he also has some stuff out there now. But it's just, it's awesome that we can see this part of history. And technically, if you want to try out decoding <laughs> the manuscript, if you think you have what it takes, you could try to create the Philosopher's Stone because that is apparently what this manuscript says in the Treasure of Treasures. It is the code for the Philosopher's Stone. So yeah, shout out to this collection. Again, it's the Science Museum Group's Alchemy Collection. You could look it up and check it out yourself. Um, Lots of books, archives, equipment, sculptures, paintings, everything, all involving mostly the Philosopher's Stone. And hey, Harry Potter fans, who we mentioned before, if you were not only thinking that the Philosopher's Stone slash Sorcerer's Stone sounded familiar, you will also recognize the name Nicholas Flamel as J.K. Rowling incorporated Nicholas into the first book of the Harry Potter series with that original title, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. And Nicholas Flamel is the only known maker of the Philosopher's Stone in the book, which nowadays it could have been made by many alchemists. There are a few who have claimed to have created it or at least got very, very close over, you know, over time. But in the story, just to connect it to Harry Potter, Nicholas is an actual character in the story and he is the one who made the Philosopher's Stone. It can turn metal into gold which was the true belief and grant immortality with its elixir of life. And in the story, he is 665 years old because he was successful. And he's just living with his 658-year-old wife. And they have a quiet, quiet life kind of on their own in the wizarding world. They don't want to be noticed. They're just like, hey, we're immortal and we're chilling over here. But then Harry Potter, very typical of him in the books and the movies, he just comes and disrupts everything. God the damn wizards, it, Harry. They're just living their peaceful life and trying to keep Hogwarts up and running. And then Harry comes along and fucks it up. And there's a whole ordeal with Voldemort. He's really wanting to get his hand on this stone and have a body that can help him live forever. And Nicholas has to get involved from his quiet life and destroy the stone. <sighs> and it's a lot. And <laughs> the interesting part of this is that... In the Harry Potter story, Nicholas is 665 and has, you know, 
created the elixir of life mm-hmm. that everyone theorizes about. And there is actually a real life, real world theory that says Nicholas Flamel never passed away in his 80s. Oh. He truly is immortal. And he has been wandering around Paris still to this day. So again, just like, believe what you want, think what you want, but I'm just putting all the little plant in the seeds. You can you could do with it what you will. Nicholas is also mentioned in Dan Brown's The Da Vinci Code and Victor Hugo's Hunchback of Notre Dame. He is, he's mentioned a lot because again, he was kind of known as the first person to bring the Philosopher's Stone forward. Um, But again, he wasn't the last. If he was the first, many people came after us. Many brilliant minds, many alchemists. Again, that was the magnum opus. They were all working to find the Philosopher's Stone. So Nicholas and many other brilliant minds worked to create this, this perfection, this this age of enlightenment, all of it. But they're in their efforts to obtain this elixir, they actually made amazing scientific discoveries, as I mentioned before, and I wanted to list some of the coolest ones. They discovered nitric, sulfuric, and acidic acid. They created alcohol. Thank you. Excuse me. They obtained (laughs) new salts. They compiled the first system of chemical elements in the world, which, again, this all led to the periodic table as we know it Mm -hmm. today. Alchemists discovered new substances like antimony and arsenic, which, poison, hello. Um, They discovered zinc and nonmetals like sulfur and carbon. They invented distillation, which we were talking about before. They were able to discover protomorphine, the very first insane painkillers we know it today of morphine they accidentally created oil paints and inks which many artists were then able to use i know all of this while trying to create the philosopher's stone it led to all of these really cool things and uh the german alchemist hennig brand uh was able he was the first to ever isolate phosphorus from urine again welcome back to p (laughs) welcome back to p (laughs) He isolated phosphorus from urine in 1669, and due to the impact of this successful feat, more than a century later, a famous artist named Joseph Wright recorded this alchemical breakthrough in one of his paintings, giving it, I just had to include this because it's so funny, gave it the hilariously long title of The Alchemist in Search of the Philosopher's Stone discovers phosphorus and prays for the successful conclusion of his operation as was the custom of the ancient chemical astrologers using p <laughs> that's what should be at the end <laughs> wait using hold on phosphorus pee-pee. phosphorus like light bulbs yes that's the only phosphorus i so... know to be honest <laughs> i didn't go too deep we into... have light bulbs because of p <laughs> probably um what is everything what is (laughs) the world and why does it all come from urine i know i didn't (laughs) because i was listing so many things i didn't do the deep dive but i had that same thought i was like okay phosphorus yeah so we have light because of some urine that's the funniest that thing. Real? Hold on. Phosphor. I'm, I'm. Yeah. Google phosphorus. it because we're going to cut this out if we're done. Mineral that naturally occurs in meat foods, such as a supplement, plays a role as key elements of bone, teeth. Okay. Are we thinking of the wrong thing? No. That, yes. Yeah. Phosphorus, the light emitting chemical element yeah. for which phosphors are named. Yeah. So we're not, we're not, <laughs> we're not wrong. wrong. 
Wow. A phosphorus light is a solid material which emits visible light. We've been supposed to. Yeah, we're right. <laughs> no one question us. Nobody questioned anything we just said. Do we know everything that happened after the phosphorus was separated from the urine? No, I am not going to tell you that process. You can Google it yourself. Glass? But we're just, we're just going to say light came from Light pee. came from our own pee. Uh, one of the most beautiful of all the alchemy-related manuscripts that came out was the Splendor Solis, meaning the Splendor of the Sun, it was wrongly attributed to a legendary figure named Solomon Trismosin, who claimed to have defeated old age with the stone. But it is believed that this may have been a pseudonym, and it was actually somebody else just pretending to be this magical being. I don't think we will ever know who was actually responsible for it. But within the Splendor Solis, we see a man emerging from a swamp, transforming from black to white to red representing the transition from putrefaction to purification to perfection. And it's using the symbolism of birds and other small animals transforming into a beautiful king and queen, showing the transformation associated with the Philosopher's Stone. And it is told throughout 22 beautiful, colorful, elaborate photos surrounded by this, like, ornamental frame each one is different it's either florals or it's golden or it's a small circle or it's a rectangle it's like just the most artistic manuscript trying to say this is life with the philosopher's stone and this is finding beauty and perfection whatever way you want to interpret that whether it's spiritual or whether you think the stone is out there that was supposed to be illustrating it so i wonder that's one of the most beautiful famous ones the voynich manuscript had something to do with alchemy. Interesting. Uh, okay, now I want to go back and look at all of those photos. Because that was all like weird symbols and people totally. doing weird shit and like plants that didn't exist. Like I wonder if they were supposing that with the Philosopher's Stone, this is what life could be like. This is what it would be. Like, this would be the perfect, like, if this plant, XYZ plant, was perfection, like, we perfected it, this is what it would be and this is what it would do. Because the whole book is written in a language we can't understand. No one's ever decoded right. it. No one's ever, like, translated it. So. Interesting. And right? that's how many alchemist books were. Mm, oh, my saying. gosh. This That's is all I why could think we about. needed to do an alchemy episode. <laughs> it brought us to this big mystery we've never been able to. Yeah, I've never thought about that. I mean, oh. I didn't know what alchemy was, so how could I? But right, <laughs> that is so interesting. Oh my gosh, I didn't even think about that. Uh, yeah, that right. is making me. Ooh, okay. Well, after this, I'm gonna be looking at those photos and studying them again, and comparing to these other manuscripts. And there was always pictures of people just like lounging in bathhouses and just looking so happy. And I just feel like they're like, hey, this is what life could be like. You don't have to work nine to five and kill yourself. You right. could just be in a bathhouse. Utopia. <laughs> Come hang out with us. If we were all to find the enlightenment, life could uh -huh. be this way. You'd just be eating, right, eating right. fruit and sitting in a bath. <laughs> I would love that life. <laughs> it's a dream for all of us. That's oh. what we should all be striving for. 
One more thing I wanted to say about that manuscript, though, and why those colors were important that I mentioned, mm-hmm. like the black to white to red. Um, those were very important colors in alchemy in general, but especially with finding the Philosopher's Stone, this color-changing transformation came from the alchemist's belief that it was all about sulfur when trying to create the Philosopher's Stone. Mm. A healthy sulfur of a red color was present in gold, and white sulfur was present in silver. When spoiled red sulfur came into contact with silver, copper was formed, while black sulfur could conceive lead. Thus, the types of sulfur influenced the sort of metal Mm. obtained as a result, which was like, that was... Once that was discovered, it was like, okay, sulfur is the key. That's what's going to change these metals. Well, and every time I think of alchemy, I think of like, you know, like how Batman has that powder that he can like throw on the ground and it creates like a smoke. Yes. Like, that's what I think of. I think of like a a guy standing over a a table and like putting some chemicals together and like some sort of light reaction and smoke. Mm -hmm. But anyway. Bright light, smoke blows into his face. He's like, I've done it. Eureka. (laughs) that is it yeah so alchemists were carrying out experiment after experiment using sulfur once this was discovered and you know doing thorough treatments of different elements to try and get the metal to get that condition of a complete change a complete transmutation all of it so that is sort of what it came from that is why those three colors the red the white and the black wow. are very important in the world of alchemy and as a result of all of these experiments again we got these incredible scientific discoveries kind of by accident that paved the way for chemistry and for so many damn things in science today and Again, as we mentioned, unfortunately, a lot of these smarty pants alchemists were called witches and they would be persecuted, sometimes even burned at the stake like witches were. And it was believed that all of these mixing of elements and changing things was just something too new and misunderstood. It couldn't be anything but dark magic because science ain't real. And yeah, that's what happened to a lot of alchemists after the time of open minds being allowed which there was a time where you could be open-minded and again as Ashley mentioned men and women worked together especially in the city of Alexandria back in the day which I'm going to touch on some of those people in the next part you could be whoever you wanted to be and explore these ideas but then unfortunately there just came a time where that changed and you know the Christians were out to get everybody and said nope nope beep boop bop (laughs) So they said that exactly as with everything. As they we were can't have anything else. And you messing with that stuff. Get on the stake. Get on the stake. And I know I've been talking forever, but my last thing is the other places it the Philosopher's Stone has appeared in literature besides Harry Potter that we all know so well. It is mentioned in Full Metal Alchemist, a Japanese comic that then turned into two anime series and two anime films. It also became a collectible card game, a video game, and a live action film in 2017. It is a story set in the early 20th century in a fictional fictional universe in which alchemy is widely practiced. And it follows two alchemist brothers who are searching for the Philosopher's Stone to restore their bodies after a failed attempt to bring their mother back to life. There is another 
Japanese comic called The Mystery of Mamo or The Secret of Mamo. It is a 1978 Japanese story that was eventually animated into a little science fiction adventure comedy film in which some of the main characters are in search of immortality and therefore in search of the stone. There are decoy stones, trickery, henchmen, all kinds of adventure. Ooh, the Japanese and really love the Philosopher's Stone, huh? They do! <laughs> which again, I was like, learning moment. I didn't know. Um, and then an oldie, I had to jump way back, one of the very first um, fictional novels created is called St. Leon, which I say is a very American white woman, but it could be St. Leon, Leon. A, a tale of the 16th century. It was written in 1799 by a British philosopher named William Godwin. This was a second novel. And St. Leon is the tale of a French aristocrat. 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 <laughs> Everybody, Everybody wants, wants to be, be a cat. <laughs> It was about a cat in Paris. No. <laughs> it was a French aristocrat named Count Reginald de Saint-Léon who loses his wealth due to gambling and his guilt almost drives him to madness. So he accepts the secret of the elixir of life and the power of multiplying your wealth from a dying stranger who finds it when he's down and out. And it causes him to wander separated from humankind, just searching. For the Philosopher's Stone. Stone. Thank you. <laughs> no, thank all. you. <laughs> oh, it's all so interesting. It's like fascinating. I, I actually specifically stayed away from all the talk of the Philosopher's Stone. Like, I knew it was a substance. I knew, like, what it was you know, what the substance was supposed to do, but I tried to stay away from all of that in my reading. So this was fascinating. Yeah. It's so funny because when you research it, everybody says like a mythical substance, like a a rumored substance because nobody was ever proven to be able to create it. We've never watched it happen. And, but whatever, if it's all just myth and lore, it's, it's fascinating. It led to so many other cool things so and we're cool gonna things. love it forever. Well, yeah, that's the thing is like in the end, the initial goals and the literal definition of alchemy turning metal into gold, as far as we know, just isn't real. Like you can't right. turn base metals like lead into gold. Yeah. Today, it is possible to, quote unquote, create gold using particle accelerators, which is super dope. But the amount right. of gold created is so minuscule, it is not worth the time, energy, and money it takes to make it. Like you would not be wealthy from the amount of gold yeah. that it's producing necessarily, or it would just take you years and years and years. Yeah, and like you said, like even though alchemy itself, again, in the scientific point of view, could be considered a total failure, it contributed mm -hmm. in, in such significant ways to the field of chemistry not only discovering new things, but discovering new ways to analyze chemicals and chemical reactions. Right. And they have discovered how to extract gold from a variety of substances, which isn't alchemy. But, you know, alchemy paved the way for us to discover how to do that. Absolutely. But the question, you know, no amount of magic or sex can create gold that we know of. But the question <sighs> uh -huh. of whether or not an elixir or element has been made that could make us immortal that's still 
It's still out there. Out there. Spooky, spooky. Still out there. I love it. I do too. Next week, we're going to continue our journey into alchemy as we look at famous alchemists and their ideas. We're going to look a little bit at modern alchemy and how it's used as a philosophy. And we're going to try and find some crazy events in the history of alchemy to share with you. But for now, that's all the time we have for Keep It Weird. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for giving us a five-star review on iTunes and Spotify. And if you haven't done Mm -hmm. that already, we ask that you please take the time to do so. Make us look good. Also, thank you for following us on social media at Keep It Weird Cast. And if you don't follow us on social media, what you doing? We're having a good time on there. What's wrong with you? We want to chat. Get it together. Please, if you don't already, consider donating to our Patreon to help us produce the show. You can do that by visiting www.patreon.com slash keepitweirdpodcast, and you can donate as little as $1 or as much as $10 to the show. And in return, you'll get bonus episodes, discounts on merch, and a newsletter that comes out every month. And finally, if you just want to grab yourself a t-shirt or tank top or tote bag or a hoodie to keep you warm in these cold, cold winter months, head over to www.keepaweirdpodcast.com slash merch. We have several designs to choose from. And if you order now, it'll get to you before Christmas. So Yes, yes. Perfect Christmas gift for either yourself or another person. What is our sign-off today? Our sign-off today is just keep doing it. Just keep it up. Keep Keep, keep peeing. Keep peeing. (laughs) Keep experimenting. Keep be, be curious. Keep working on the thing. Keep, you know what I mean? Because that's what these guys were doing. They were just, they just kept doing it. Yeah. Live in that space of awe and wonder and curiosity and maybe keep a sample of your pee for some study. I don't know. Just in case. (laughs) And And keep keep it it weird. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.